Hello and welcome to the Quadcast. I am John McAlevey, and oh, is it good to be back. For those of you who are new to the experience, while this podcast is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, it is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired, and that you will be today, I promise. I pride myself on the fact that this listen will be your 30 to 45-minute session of OT and PT for the soul. We have been away for some time, and I apologize for that. However, I have been having a hard time finding guests. I've reached out for a number of people who have either not returned my messages or just completely blew me off, which I understand. Good news is that I have a few more good folks lined up in the near future, so we are in luck. Since we've been away, some exciting things have happened. On November 10, the Quadcast was honored to receive the Spinal Cord Advocacy Award from the Cheshire Home at their 40th anniversary gala. That my office mate, friend, and star of Season 3, Episode 2 of this podcast, Janine Valenti, was an awardee as well, well, that was just the cherry on top. While I thanked each and every one by name that night, I am still amazed that college friends drove down from New England. Childhood buds whom I've known since kindergarten showed up, valued co-workers and colleagues were there, and of course my family came out in force to support the project and me. And the fact that the speech I long prepared for and poured my heart into was well received, that made the evening one I will remember and cherish forever. And speaking of evenings to remember forever, Sunday, December 11 was Jokin's third birthday, and he had a party to commemorate the occasion. My sister Susan brought her cockapoo bogey over, and the two of them ran around in the backyard for hours, and then came in, donned adorable birthday hats, and had some well-deserved treats. Anyone that has met Yokes knows he's truly a good boy, and I was happy to help him celebrate his big day. And now let's get started on today's special two-part episode. It is unlike any show I've ever done, and I know you'll be entertained and above all inspired. Through my job as the Peer Counseling Coordinator at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, I introduce myself to new inpatients on a weekly basis to see if they're interested in speaking with someone who may have a similar injury to theirs but has been living in the community with it for a number of years and has kind of figured out what this new life is all about. For the most part, I only get to see these people a handful of times because their stays in the facility these days are quite short. Weeks, in fact. Today's guest is different. I got to know Tracy Iraka quite well because she arrived at KIR on September 10. We instantly clicked, not only because she always had a smile on her face and greeted everyone with a hello and how are you, but because Tracy is also a big dog lover. And have I mentioned I happen to have a pretty amazing pooch? <laughs> Over her months of arduous therapy, Tracy would swing by my office to chat about her day, her family, her beloved dog Herschel, how I was doing, and of course to pet and get special lap visits from the Yokinator. Good days and bad visits with him seemed to put an extra pep in her step, and it meant the world to us. Well, Tracy was discharged a week ago, but the night before she was, we had an amazing conversation. She talks about where she's from, 
her injury, which is one you will have to hear for yourself, what she's most proud of to date, and what gives her pause as she's about to fly the coop. Tracy has agreed to rejoin me in six months to tell us how she is doing, or shall I say thriving. So get ready, because following this time out for a public service announcement from my friends at Canine Companions, part one of Be It Ever So Humble, There's No Place Like Home, starring Tracy Iraka begins. And that, my friends, is next. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. And we are back on this special edition of the Quadcast. Remember, you can find us on the following hosts. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. Yes, I said special edition, and that is because my friend Tracy Iraka, who began her rehabilitation journey at Kessler Institute, confined to a power wheelchair, unable to walk, well, she will do just that tomorrow out the front door as she continues that journey at home, no longer an inmate, I mean inpatient, haha, in the hospital setting. Tracy, congratulations. All of your hard work has led you to this. Thank you for taking time out of your busy last day to join us here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, John. Oh, I was looking so forward to this. And rather than bloviate like I used to or that I like to do, why don't we just jump <laughs> right into the questions? Because I know you are very busy at the moment. So, Perfect. yeah, I usually like to start off all of my shows at the beginning. So why don't you tell us where did you grow up and what were some things that you enjoyed doing as a young person? Sure. So I grew up in South Jersey. I, I grew up in farmland, kind of the Millstone, Cream Ridge, Allentown area. And uh, I had two sisters. We were all pretty close in age. So we were kind of farm girls. We liked to ride horses and ride uh, little mini bikes and build forts. And we were kind of tomboys. So that was a lot of fun. And then um, I mostly after that got into um, theater and singing. And, and that's what I did pretty much all through high school. So kind of a mix of those two things. Wow. The tomboy that likes to sing and dance. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was really shy and my mom thought that I could sing and she wanted me to try choir and I did. And it turned out that I could sing, but I was still really shy. So it took many, many years before I would do any sort of solos, but it kept me busy because I wasn't very sporty. So it kept me doing something in school. And that's funny because I, to prepare for the show today, I had sent you one of my previous episodes with Ali Stroker, who won a <laughs> Tony Award. 
I thought about that as I was listening to that podcast. Oh, my goodness gracious. So, okay, now that you are moving up and you're getting towards high school and thinking about college, what is the plan? What is Tracy thinking that uh, her life is going to look like? You know, I really didn't know. I ended up um, for crazy personal reasons, moving out of my house at a pretty young age. I moved in with my sister and a friend of hers. And then um, very just uh, coincidentally fell in love with the friend's brother and uh, ended up marrying him. So I didn't go to college. I, um, I was working full time from the time I was 18 years old. And I was doing a lot of secretarial work and I was doing... Um, some executive secretarial work when I had my kids. And then I took a small break from working until the kids started school. So I really didn't start my career until I was a little bit older, maybe my late twenties when, uh, early thirties, when it was time for me to think about myself. And I thought, all right, well now I'll go to school. I'll either do, um, pharmaceutical or I'll do uh, social work. I knew that those things interested me. But in the meantime, I had heard that there was a foundation in uh, the small town near where we lived that was looking to hire people and I only needed part-time. So it was a blood cancer foundation for myelodysplastic syndromes. It's a form of uh, like a pre-leukemia. And I started there part-time doing patient correspondence and I ended up never going to school. I just fell in love with the patients and the uh, physicians and nurses that worked in that field. I started doing a little bit of everything that the foundation did, some patient support and education, professional education, and, um, and research into the disease. And I ended up actually about eight years ago taking over the foundation. So now I'm the executive director and that's been now 18 years with them. Wow. So Ta- my, yeah, it turned out a little unexpected, but really pleasant. Talk about foreshadowing, working with nurses <laughs> and whatnot in the health healthcare field. Yes. I've always been interested in the healthcare field. And my sister would say all the time, from the time I was very young, I always wanted to know you know, how the body worked and how medicines affected the body. It was fascinating to me. And I feel like it's one of the reasons why I've been uh, so strong and even successful here at Kessler, because I wanted to know everything. I wanted to understand what we were doing, why we were doing it. And I had kind of a basic understanding of my body and how it worked. So everything kind of worked in my favor. It certainly prepared you. Yes. For what was to come. And speaking of which, you know, when I go around uh, with, as my job as the peer counseling coordinator, I go into all of the rooms and, you know, I tell folks about the program, what what we offer and, and how it might be able to help them. One thing I never do is check on how or why they are with us at Kessler. I don't think it's really any of my business. But today, if you'd like to tell us, what, what can you remember before, during and after the accident that changed the direction of your life and brought you here? Absolutely. So I was in an accident during a work event. I was in California. We were doing a run walk for MDS and the walk went beautifully. And at the end, we were sitting on stage taking photos before we left the park. And unfortunately, there was a piece of equipment on the stage that wasn't anchored properly. It was very heavy. It was 1200 pound LED monitor and it fell on me um, while I was on the stage. So it just, what I remember is that in the blink of an eye, everything in my life changed. And I never thought about that before. I was so happy doing what I was doing. I even brought my daughter to LA. She's 25 and I brought her there because I wanted her to be at one of my work events and be a part of it. So within seconds, everything was different. I 
I just remember thinking the minute it happened, I'm never going to be the same again. And, you know, it's, um, it was really difficult, but it was, yeah, it was very hard, but it's, um, I feel like we've looked at a lot of silver linings and the fact that in these types of accidents that come out of nowhere, um, sometimes you realize the support that you have and the amount of people who care about you and want to help you. And I felt this overwhelming um, outpour of love and support from my work family, but also, of course, my family family. And, you know, it it kind of forced my children to grow up real quick Mm -hmm. when, you know, they realized that they had a mom who pretty much did everything for everyone. And all of a sudden I wasn't there and and I needed them. That was really different for us. You know something, Tracy, you, you really do find out really who's in the foxhole with you when something like, like this happens. And uh, I can recall when, when I had my accident 30 years ago, I was 24 years old at the time. And, and, and on any given weekend, a Saturday, there'd probably be, probably be about 25 guys in the rotunda watching football and just keeping hmm. me involved in everyday things. And it sounds like you had that same support with not only your family, but friends. I did. I really did. And I, it was, um, it wasn't surprising because that's not the right word. It was um, overwhelming to, it, it got to the point where I just, I felt so fortunate and gave me the strength to just keep, you know, getting through everything with a smile on my face and as strong as I possibly could, because I knew that I had so many people praying for me and so many people, you know, reaching out to my family to see what they could do to help. And it, um, it got me through. It really did. I mean, obviously I'm not through it all. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kind of, I'm at the beginning of the next phase. Step but one. It, it got me through. Exactly. It got yeah. me through step one. Yeah. So initially, what did, what did your doctors tell you? And how did it affect you mentally? Because everybody thinks when they hear spinal cord injury, oh, is so-and-so going to walk? Are they going to walk? Are they going to walk? You know, they walk. They think paralysis, paralysis. And yeah, the physical aspect is huge, but mentally it's just like here you were at a at an event and now all of a sudden your life has changed. So it's kind of like, whoa, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. This That sort of a situation. Exactly. I, I have to say that when I... I don't remember the first three days or the first two to three days very clearly. I was in um, three major surgeries within that time, about 18 hours of anesthesia. So I don't, I just, I remember waking up in the ICU in California after all the surgeries were over and just being very alert, like psychologically alert. And I knew that I could move my upper body and I knew that I, I was in pain but that I was thinking really clearly and that surprised me. So it, um, I needed to just get through the pain. And I, I told my husband, don't tell me my injuries. Like for, until I can handle it, I don't want to know what my injuries are. I'll let you know when I'm ready, but I just, I need to take a deep breath and I need to just kind of, you know, figure out where I am right now. And, and then it took probably about two days before I finally was like, okay, tell me what my injuries were. Tell me what my surgeries were. And then, you know, I needed that time to just process what was happening and, and how fast everything went downhill. And once he explained my injuries, I was able to just, and I had a friend there that I worked with who actually came to the event to do the walk with us. And and she took amazing notes and I didn't even read her notes until weeks later, but she had a notebook and she wrote down all my surgeries and all of my injuries. And she really helped my husband with keeping track of everything. 
But for me, it was take my time. I had to just take my time until I was ready to deal with each step of of what was happening. And uh, as far as what the doctors told me, uh, it wasn't much. Nobody would talk about walking. That was something nobody wanted to discuss, uh, except my daughter. My daughter apparently asked the question a bunch of times <laughs> while she was in the hospital. She yeah. uh, And she was met with really, you know, dire answers and it scared her so much. But I think what scared her more was that they kept telling her the risks of my surgeries themselves. Mm. You know, not so much is mom going to walk, but is mom going to make it through these surgeries? So when I made it through she stopped caring about whether or not I was going to walk. She was just grateful to have me. Yeah. Mom is still here. Yes, exactly. That's amazing. And how long did you remain out in uh, LA and, and um, did they begin to, you know, talk about therapy and did they want you to remain out there for your rehab? Um, and what were the conversations along those lines? We talked about it. We really had no idea. Um, whether we were going to stay in California and go to a rehab there or come home. I know originally I wanted to stay there. And I think there was part of me that was afraid to go home and face my family and maybe like my extended family. And maybe that is something I'm just realizing now that I was like, let me just get better here so that when I see them, I won't be so weak. But that was kind of a fleeting thought. We realized, you know, pretty quickly that I needed to be back in New Jersey. And I ended up staying there for two weeks in California. I was in ICU for a week and then a sub ICU for another week. And as soon as I was stable, I had one or two sessions maybe with their um, OT and PT teams, just enough to like see if they could get me out of bed. But it was really hard. I was in a lot of pain and I couldn't, um, I really couldn't move very well. And I was Mm. scared and overwhelmed. So I did, I do remember really loving the OT and, and the PT that were in California. So the couple sessions I had with them, I'll always remember, but, um, I, I did most of my therapy as soon as I got to Kessler, which was two weeks after the accident, they did a kind of an air ambulance flight from California to New Jersey. And and that was a really, I know it's going to sound crazy, but it was a really awesome experience. I, I loved the nurse that was on board and the pulmonary specialists. They were both really kind to me and you know, it was really tiny jet that only my husband and I could be on with those two mm-hmm. and then the pilot. So it was an experience that I'll always remember. That's going to be a chapter in the book, I take it, Tracy. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, how did you get back and what that was like? But you just painted a great picture of that. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. Now, you mentioned Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. Now, being a Jersey girl, um, <laughs> what did you know about it? I'll tell you, for me, I grew up you know, within two miles of Kessler and playing sports my whole life, I had driven past the building and the hill there a thousand times going back and forth to games. And I never looked up the hill. I never knew what was going on there. And little did I know (laughs) it would be a huge part of my life. So what did you know about Kessler? Had you heard about it? And what was your first impressions when you finally got there? I didn't know anything about Kessler. Honestly, I, um, I live about an hour and 15 minutes south of Kessler, so I didn't know much. I know that my husband and this friend that I mentioned um, had done a bunch of research and they were looking for, you know, the top hospitals in New Jersey or rehab facilities for me. And they were working with a, a caseworker from um, California about this. And the um, Kessler just kept rising to the top of their uh, to the top of, uh, of their list. So I hadn't heard anything about them and, um, 
didn't really, I just trusted their judgment. I knew that they, you know, wouldn't steer me wrong. And I just kept my fingers crossed and, and landed here, which was, has turned out to be just an amazing facility. What they kept telling me and what everyone kept telling me is Christopher Reeves went there. <laughs> so that's the only thing that I knew about Kessler. Oh, you mean they didn't tell you John McAlevey had been there? <laughs> they did not. But oh. now I will always remember that. Yes. And the great Yoken, who we'll, we'll, we will talk about later on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. He had his third birthday on Sunday and uh, he was quite the bell of the ball, if you will. But uh, <laughs> we'll get into him later on. So, so OK, now you're at Kessler and Tell us what your your physical state was like. I know you probably weren't walking at the time, and, and that was something that um, was on the forefront of your mind, but you had other things that they were working with you on initially in therapy. Exactly. So I definitely wasn't walking. When I got to Kessler, I was really weak. And although I had upper body strength in that um, I wasn't, my spinal cord injury didn't affect my upper body, um, I had severe rib pain because they had used rib spreaders on my spinal surgery. And I really, I couldn't find a part of my body that didn't hurt, which made it really difficult when I got to Kessler. Cause as you know, John, mm. you get up and going pretty quickly. And yeah. Everything is, I remember I dreaded the word transfer. And basically uh. it just means going from one place to another, either from your bed to your wheelchair or from your bed to a stretcher so that you can get a test. And every part of my body hurts. So for me and for the nurses here, it took us a minute to figure out a way that they could move me without hurting me until I healed a little bit. And we just figured out like they used the sheets and they just did everything with sheets so that they didn't actually touch my body. And it just, even after a week or two, as things started to heal, I got stronger. But when I first got here, I think everyone, you know, no one, everyone's telling me now, we had no idea what to do with you. <laughs> it's true. They don't know what to deal with, right? Right. Oh, it was the, really difficult. It, yeah. it got it got better quickly. And I have to say, it was something that every day I saw a little bit more progress. And, you know, as you mentioned, I wasn't walking and I had, because I had dislocated both my hips and fractured my right hip, I didn't just have a spinal cord injury. I had orthopedic injuries that were pretty severe. Oh. So I had, um, I had three months of precautions where I couldn't move my hips because with the dislocation and the fracture and all of the hardware that they had put in my hips, mm -hmm. I couldn't move them for three months. That was their rule, three months. So, but about um, halfway through, they released my left leg because it, it didn't get fractured, only my right hip did. So we started just working on what we could work on and we worked on my left leg and we worked on my upper body until eventually just a couple of weeks ago, my right leg was released from the precautions and we could put some weight on that. And it wasn't until then that anyone had any idea whether I would walk or how well I would stand. And um, it was kind of a big surprise to all of us that I actually was able to walk. Oh my gosh. I almost did a backflip when you, <laughs> I've only known you in the chair. I've known you in the wheelchair or in your room, in your bed. So right. I, I, again, I don't look at anybody's charts, so I, I don't feel it's any of my business. And I just want to deal with the person uh, in front of me. And what I see was mm -hmm. Tracy in a wheelchair. And then you told me, Hey, I, I can not only move the right leg, but now they're letting me move the left one. And then I saw you, I was in the, uh, in the day room um, because Jane Mitchell had a, something going on in her office and I looked around and you were walking with a walker. I almost <laughs> lost it. It was amazing. So that, that had to put a little wind in your sails once you were able to get both of your legs under you. 
It was amazing. And it was something I never took for granted. I just kept figuring I'll work as hard as I can walk. And if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I, I have other issues. So, I mean, you know, John, I don't have bowel or bladder control because the uh, spinal cord injury actually, um, caused paralysis in that area of my body. So I knew I had other challenges and I had to, you know, deal with how I was going to manage independently when I got home with my bowel and my bladder issues. So I was focused on so many other things and I just kept thinking, you know, one step at a time. And, you know, if we get to walking, we get to walking. I know my husband's goal from the minute we got here was, you know, you're going to walk in our front door. And I was like, I would love to, (laughs) that would be awesome. But, you know, let's just take this one step at a time. That's the goal. And, you know, you mentioned the two B and B people don't really (sighs) know about, you know, they think paralysis, like I said, is so-and-so going to walk, but they don't think about occupational therapy either. I mean, I feel sorry for the gals and the guys that work in that you know, in that field, because I didn't know what occupational therapy was. And for me, someone who has very little use of my arms, hands and fingers, people, they don't know, like, again, it's, is so-and-so going to walk? They don't know whether, hey, can John feed himself again? Can he dress himself? Can he toilet himself? Can he clean himself up? And, you know, those are things in occupational therapy that, that people need to relearn to do. But um, also, as you mentioned about the bowel and bladder um, you know, this, these spinal cord injuries are the gift that keep on giving. I mean, they just, they affect us in so many different ways. And, and those are two issues that, you know, will really sort of define how we, we wind up living our lives because you have to change the way you do things, you know? You absolutely do. And and I was talking to one of our, you know, one of our friends here, another patient recently, and, and he was saying the same thing. He's like, it's not enough that I can't move my legs. Yeah. <laughs> now I have to have a UTI. Like, is there, and it's something that we all live with. And it, it gets frustrating because if you think about it too hard, it, it gets overwhelming that you have all of these different things yep. that you have to deal with and think about and relearn. And, and I tried to explain to my family, I think they thought when I got up on my feet, I was just going to take off. <laughs> and I was like, you don't understand. I'm literally learning to walk again. Yeah. I don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. And I still have one foot, my right foot, I can't move. And that's again, where my back was injured. My spinal column was injured. I can't move my right foot. So I have a brace on it and it helps me in my shoe. It lifts my foot for me, but I'm literally learning how to, how to lift my leg high enough to get up a step. It doesn't just come right back. You have to relearn it like you're a baby. And then, you know, on top of it, I have to remember that I need to catheterize myself every four hours. And, you know, I, there are a lot of things on your mind And yeah, it can get overwhelming. You have to just do your best to keep a positive attitude and tell yourself, you know, this could always be worse. Exactly. And, you know, the things that people in real life take for granted, right? I mean, certain things, it's... uh... It's something that, um, by the grace of God, people should thank the good Lord that they still can do these types of things. And uh, you and I certainly found out in a tough way that it's, it's not the easiest thing. But again, it's not the end of the world, which is a good thing. Exactly. And I think in the beginning, when my husband learned of them, I have to say he was devastated. For him, the bowel and bladder was, I think, something that just um, mm-hmm. hit him harder, I think, than even me, because he just felt so sorry and that he thought it was going to be something that was going to be too overwhelming and I wouldn't be able to manage it. And I think he's watched me over you know, these weeks and I've explained to him, like the OTs here 
have do such an amazing job of showing you how you can truly be independent. And it's, you know, it's definitely not the end of the world. And now I feel like he's also, you know, feeling a little bit better about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and your pa- your family sees it and and we all see it. It's part of the reason why we all think you're such a rock star up there at Kessler and <laughs> why your family will see that first and foremost. Tell us if you could, Tracy, what have been some of your highest of highs and, and your lowest of lows since you've been there? Okay, well, we'll start with the lows and we'll end with the highs. Good, good. Um, I have to tell you that my nights here were really tough. For some reason, um, as soon as it got dark and I was in my room, I would get really sad. And that's when I really missed my family because my favorite times at home were night times with my husband mm-hmm. and with my pets and, you know, just family time. So when I was alone here at night, it was really lonely. And that was more times than not. I That's when I would have my crying spells. But as soon as the sun came up in the morning, everything changed. I was ready to, to get to therapy and I was ready to get moving. And and I think the same for weekends. It's it's tough on the weekends here because it's you work so hard. Yeah. It is lonely. It's, yeah. I've heard people say it's a ghost town around here on the weekends. It and it's true. You you're, You get so used to such intense therapy and you see, you know, fellow patients and you make friends and, and we don't really get to like visit each other per se in our rooms or we don't see each other. So the weekends, if you don't have visitors and sometimes even if you do, the weekends can be lonely. So those were, were a couple of my low times. I never, I never stressed over what I was going to be able to do or not be able to do. I don't know why or how, but it just, it wasn't something that got me down. I always just had the confidence that I would get as strong as I could. And then whatever that point was, I would be happy with. Sure. So I didn't feel bad about that. Mm-hmm. I know the first time I got up on one leg, even just one leg, I was really excited. It hurt <laughs> really badly. <laughs> it hurt so because, good. you know, for months. Yes, exactly. That was a high point. I was excited just to be upright. And, um, and that was something that was definitely a high point. And of course, you know, getting up on, two legs was even better and realizing that my body was going to be strong enough to put one foot in front of the other, even though, um, I don't have bowel or bladder control and I don't, I can't actually feel my hips or my rear end. (laughs) So we (laughs) thought that might hold me back, but it turns out everything is strong enough to hold my body up. So that was definitely a high point. And I can't, I can't not mention the amazing therapists. They're just Every single one, even when I had my everyday therapists or if I had a substitute, they're just kind and warm and hardworking. And I love never take no for an answer. If they think you can do something, they will have you do it no matter how <laughs> True. How, uh, how hard it is. And, and they tell you that, you know, there's going to be some pain and that that's OK, because that's how we get better. Yeah. I learned early on that PT doesn't stand for physical therapists. It stands for physical terrorists because they, oh my God, yeah, yes. that's what they told me. We're going to terrorize you until you can do, um, you know, we think you can do more than you can. And so you learned early on that they, they don't take no for an answer. No. And my favorite term, I, I tease them all the time about it is they call it overpressure. Okay. And basically I always tell them that means make Tracy cry. because <laughs> it's like They'll bend your knee to a point where it, they can feel it stop. And then they overpressure it because if you don't stretch it, it'll never get to the point where we need it to be. So yes. we learned to laugh through those moments and, and really get me to where I needed to be so that if I need to bend down and get something, I can bend my knees. Move it or lose it, Tracy. 
<laughs> exactly. That's the case. Well, I know this past week has been a real whirlwind for you because you're preparing to to be discharged and uh, and to go home. You know, the old saying, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. <laughs> First of all, hey. what are you looking forward to most about going home? And then what is it that gives you your greatest pause at this point? Oh, gosh, I can't wait to see my dog. I have an Australian shepherd named Herschel and he's eight years old and I am his human. <laughs> and I haven't seen him in almost four months. And we didn't bring him to Kessler because we thought we'd never get him back in the car again. <laughs> so I, I feel so badly that he doesn't know where I am and I cannot wait to see him. So that's the first thing I think about, about home is that I get to be with my dog again. The best. And yeah, he's, he's awesome. And then of course my family, you know, I want to, I want to be there. I know that Kevin's been lonely, my husband and uh, my son is back home now. He was away at army training, but he's back home now. And he tells me that without me, our house isn't a home that, he needs me to light candles and, you know, turn on the nightlights and yeah, make the to house, be mom. you know, exactly to be a mom and to cook food that smells good. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, he said, it's like a bachelor pad now with just him and his father. Sure. So I want to go warm the house up again. And I want us to eat dinner together and watch family feud and like do the silly things that we did before. And my daughter who, you know, doesn't live with us, has her own apartment. You know, I want to have her come too and really just, I want that family time. Of course, that I, I can't wait for. The simple pleasures in life. Exactly. Just family. Um, I'm a little bit afraid that I've gotten so used to the people here that, you know, we have a camaraderie and you know, we can talk to each other like like me and you do. And, and um, we understand each other. We know what we're going through. And if you're having a down day, you can talk to someone who knows exactly how you feel. So I know that when I go home, my family um, may not understand. And I know that they'll try and, and they'll be as good as they can be about it, but they're never going to truly understand exactly what I'm going through. So yeah. I have definitely traded phone numbers yeah. with some of the other patients so that we can stay in touch and we can commiserate. And um, hopefully I won't you know, feel so lonely in my new, um, in my new body sure. and I'll be able to continue talking with people. I'm also a little, um, my family is amazing and I have mentioned that, but, um, I'm afraid that they may try to crowd me a bit mm -hmm. when I get home. So I, um, I've told them that I have a new favorite word and it's called boundaries. <laughs> and I'm going to have to set some boundaries and, um, I'm going to have to really take some time when I first get home to get comfortable because I'm excited to go home, but I'm afraid to be upset about the things I used to be able to do that I can't do right now. Right. Right now, you know, the great Dr. Kirschbloom will always tell me, and he's been my doctor for all 30 years, he'll tell me, John, when you come to me with issues and you tell me about this, that, and the other thing, I want you to put at the end of whatever the sentence you finish up with, say, for right now. Okay, yeah. you just have to tell yourself it's for right now. And uh, the sooner you come to that conclusion and understand that, then it will make things a lot easier. Exactly. I agree. I keep, it was hard for me in the beginning because I kept saying, I can't do this. And then other people would say, yet, you just have to say yet, or this is temporary or, you know, just keeping that little bit of positivity mm -hmm. at the end of it. And, you know, we don't know the future. 
So you're right. That makes a really big difference. Yeah. And I tell you, I can remember being so anxious to get home and so excited, but also so nervous. And from from somebody that has been there and done that, I feel that for you. I can hear it in your voice and I could see it when I saw you on Friday, but I'm so excited for you because yeah, it's going to it's going to be different. You know, the first week or two might be like, oh my God, I don't think I can do this. But once you develop that sort of a new vibe and, and you can figure out that I can do this, then you're just going to soar because you'll be back at home. And, and the old saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat. They told me that a long time ago. You'll, yeah. you'll find different ways to do things that you used to do. And you know what? Maybe you'll say, geez, I wish I would have done it this way three years ago. <laughs> I've heard that. A lot of people have told me that you heal faster at home, yeah. that you sleep better at home, that there are reasons, you know, obviously those positive things about being home. So I'm really, I am looking forward to all of those. I'm, I know too that I will keep up with my exercise. That's another thing that when you're here, the therapists push you hard and you do, you're stretching every day. And that's something that I know I have to keep up with when I get home. I have yes. to keep up with my strengthening and my stretching. And, and I, I feel like I know I can do it on my own. It's just, you have to be disciplined to make sure that you're the one doing it and they're not, you know, dragging you out of your room to do it three hours a day. Exactly. Like I mentioned before, move it or lose it. I certainly found that out yes. during COVID when I couldn't get to PT and, and OT and I, my body just atrophied to the point where, oh my goodness gracious, I could hardly walk and I'm still fighting the good fight to get back to where I was. But it's, I, wow. I will give you that um, bit of advice. Do not let a day go by that you're not doing something to, to help better yourself because um, it can creep up on you quickly, you know? That's uh, really helpful. I know I noticed that because when I was when I first stood up, they changed me from an upper body weights class to an ambulatory class because I was on my feet. Right. And then when I started to do more weights and upper body work um, by myself, I had already lost some strength. So that quickly, you know, mm -hmm. in a week of, of switching classes and not continuing with my upper body workouts. So even in just a week, I felt like I wasn't as strong. Yeah. So I've learned that lesson already. Yes, you did. I'm glad you learned it now before you get home. Right. What exactly. is, uh, Tracy, what's the plan moving forward for outpatient? Will you be coming back to Kessler? Will you be doing it closer to where you live? Closer to home. As much as I would love to come back to Kessler, it would be really hard. It's with, too far. Um, it is. And, and the, the, the Turnpike and the Parkway are not very easy roads to travel no. on oh, good grief. at all. So I, I don't think I could do that. But there is a Kessler about a half an hour south of me in a town called Marlton. So I may try to use that facility. We're still trying to work out the outpatient schedule. Excellent. Just as long as you get that done and you have a nice routine. Um, exactly. And I will leave you with these two questions. What is <laughs> the next big goal that you have? And after you finish with that, what is, you know, as you look back on your time at Kessler, how long have you been there now? I've been here 14 weeks. My goodness gracious. What is in that time the, if you could find one or two things that you are most proud of Tracy for, uh, if you could tell us what those would be. Sure. I think for, for being at Kessler for so long, I think I'm most proud at just keeping a smile on my face. It's, it served me well my whole life. And, you know, from the minute I woke up in the ICU, I smiled at everyone who came in and introduced myself. And, you know, I think keeping that up for these 14 weeks here too, because when you smile, you know, the person you're talking to smiles and it just, it changes the tone of, of everything that you do. So I'm proud of myself for keeping positive. 
That is a great answer. And I can attest to that because I see that smile each and every day when I'm up there. <laughs> and I think you can see it even with a mask on. Yeah, so right. Oh, good grief. With the I masks. like that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But gosh, as far as my goal, yeah. um, I I just want to, I want to relearn a good balance in my life. I can say that before this happened to me, I I wasn't very balanced. I was very work heavy Mm. and stress heavy. And I kind of ran around like a chicken without a head. And I just tried to get everything done. And I tried to help everyone I could help. And I didn't take a lot of time for myself. So I think that what I want to do is make sure that I, I live more healthy in my mind. And I give myself that time to relax, to realize that, you know, I don't need to fix everyone's problems <laughs> right. and just kind of focus on myself, focus on my healing and, um, and focus on a better, more healthy balance in my life. Sure. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you mentioned work. Do you plan on jumping back into work in some form or fashion anytime in the near future? I do. I love the foundation. Uh, it's been a part of my life. So I definitely want to go back. I don't see myself ever going back to the level that I did before. I used to travel all over the world on a regular basis. And I just don't see that as anything I could do or even want to do again in the future. But I want to do something with the foundation. I'll probably start back just kind of at a lesser level and and get involved. But I don't know that I'll ever do as much as I did before. Right. Well, I tell you, that'll help you heal as well, because it'll give you a a sense of normalcy and, and, you know, like you're jumping back into the life that you used to live before all of this. Definitely. I miss it. I do miss the work. Of course. Well, listen, I want to thank you, Tracy, so much for carving out some time on your last full day as an, I called it an inmate, but I'm bumped (laughs) as an, uh, as an inpatient at Kessler and for for allowing myself and my friend Jochen to, to be a part of your journey. (laughs) And even just a small way, you come by our office and we chat about life and family and dogs and uh, yeah. it's, it's cathartic for me and it's, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and, and your daughter and your husband. And I look forward to seeing you all tomorrow as you are, um, walking out the front door, which is amazing. I can't believe I'm even saying that. Oh, thank you so much, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. And what we'll do is how about maybe in six months, we'll, we'll rekindle this conversation and we'll talk about how all the things that, that you were nervous about, how you're killing them all at home right now. How about that? <laughs> that sounds perfect. I would love to do that. So mark your calendars. Part two of Be It Ever So Humble, There's No Place Like Home, starring my good friend Tracy Iraka, will drop sometime in June. Tracy, thanks again for your time, for your candid answers, and for your friendship. I think I speak for everyone you encountered at Kessler over your stay when I say that I am happy for you, I am eager for you, and I am proud of you. Now all that's left to say are three words. You go, girl. Hey, make sure to tune in again next week as my guest will be Allie Ingersoll, Miss Wheelchair America 2023. Thanks as always to the man who mixes my show at Harbor Picture Company in New York City, Chris Parapesco, and for all of the good folks here at the Quadcast. Good boy. I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. Ah!